Shut up and sit down. had an annoying kind of um, moment before the podcast started. So give me a... Um, <laughs> oh, I had a really annoying day, actually. Those of you who are... Um, uh, who are on my Facebook probably saw that um, I was at the cafe today and I had um, a little writer's meeting. Um, we're getting, um, we were planning for nano and, and some write-ins and stuff. And so we, we met and um, uh, there was a, a new person who came before the meeting started and um, asked if we were part of the writer's group. And we said, yes. And there were four of us there and my mom, you know, um, and, um, he sits down with me because I'm the only girl, I guess. I don't know. And proceeds to tell me all about his book that he's been writing for a decade. And oh, I'm going to get Julie on the phone so she can make noises. <laughs> so I can, what? So, so you, you can make noises. And, oh, how dare okay. he? <laughs> so you can okay. respond. Okay. So he tells me he's been writing um, this, this book for about a decade. And then he proceeds to um, tell me all about the craft of writing. Um, he explains POV to me, the, the different kinds of POV. He totally fucked up the explanation for omniscient, whatever, um, and how he was writing his book. Wait, in, wait, wait, um, wait. He's, he's been writing one, one book for a decade, and he explained all of that? To me, yeah. He didn't know who I was. Um then he told me he was writing his book in first person present tense and explained to me the difference between second like uh, second person and first person and then present tense and past tense and then he told me about um, GMC but then he said oh I mean goals motiva- motivations and conflicts I shouldn't use complicated terms with no- um, novices and my friend who I've been friends with for decades Decades. Okay. Spit coffee all over his notebook. It, it just spewed everywhere. Um, and I'm like, because this, this dude has no idea that I am actually leaving the group. He's going to be joining later in the evening. And um, then he defines for me what a plot is. And um, um, uh, it's telling me. The only way to plot. There's only one correct way to plot a novel, and he is telling me this. And finally, my friend, who's been writing science fiction um, for longer than I've actually been alive, um, exploded. He just exploded all over the dude, and he said, For fuck's sake, she's been writing for 30 years. <laughs> she's multi published. She's been a writer in residence at three different universities. <laughs> 
he's the leader of our group. And the dude got really mad because he said, if I didn't, this group was being led by a woman, I wouldn't have come over here. And he left. <gasps> then he came back when it was time. Oh, my eating. God. Yeah, he came back. Yes, he came back and gave me some fake-ass apology. Um, and um, so I pretty much ignored him the entire um, meeting and um, only answered his questions with really abrupt yes or no answers. And um, um made him feel entirely un- unwelcome because I, he's not welcome. <laughs> I didn't want there to be any confusion. <laughs> wow, I think he's like he a punch. He, I mean... He mansplained to me my own craft. I, you know, I mean, you you hear about men doing this to women, you know, and he, he knew I was another writer, even if he didn't know what my level was. He did know that I was another writer, and he still sat down and mansplained to me like I didn't have the first fucking clue. And I was going to let him do so, it until it was time for the meeting. And then, like, run the meeting. <laughs> wow. So he 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 assumed you were a novice just because you have a vagina. Okay. And I was a girl at the time there, I guess. I don't know. I, it was just stunning. It, it was stunning. Um, and, yeah, he's been writing the same book. Um, oh, yeah, she has, he has several books. But one, um, he uh, he's very attached to, and he um, it's been rejected fifty or sixty times. And but he told me that um, he wasn't <laughs> that discouraged. And I shouldn't be discouraged by rejection either, because Stephen King was rejected a lot too. Oh, that asshole! Ugh. During the meeting, it came up. Um, the rejection process and sci-fi writers said, well, she wouldn't have much um, practice with that. She doesn't get told no often. <laughs> and shot that dude a look. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily true, but I do, I do pretty well when I submit. I mean, I don't get told no often and it's more like, no, not this, but can we have this instead? You know, <laughs> it's never no, you suck. <laughs> It's no. Can we have some more of that over there <laughs> instead? You know. So I mean, it was just I, I was just I and my mother, my my mother was sitting there the whole time, and she's just looking at this dude with the most bitch bitch ass face you could possibly muster. She's got it on. So when he storms off because I'm a girl. I turned to her, I said, don't you get up. She said, I don't, don't get up. <laughs> I said, do not follow that asshole out of this coffee shop. I mean it. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I'm, I, I'm amazed that you were able, that you let him stay. I, I don't know that I could have kept been civil to that guy. I, oh. See, the beauty of it is that I will never ever ever give him a single moment of my genuine attention if he attends every meeting for the next decade I will never read with him I will never alpha read his work I will never help him with a 
with a synopsis. I'll never help him with the summary. I'll never help him with the cover letter. Ever. And during that meeting, Quick Alpha reads on three different synopsis and didn't even look in his direction. It will never happen. And there are about 20 of us, and there are only three published writers in that group, and I'm one of them. And the other two know how he treated me and then got pissed because I was female. Um, And they won't be helping him either. And both of them actually write in the genre that that he wants to, to write in. Man, I just, I don't know how you kept your cool. Oh, I'd have, I'd have. I was more, I was more honestly amused than I was insulted. It was just like, okay, dude, <laughs> keep talking. <laughs> was my mom more like Weeza or Clary? Um, my mama is a hundred percent Weeza every day, with a little bit of um, Brenda Lee Johnson in her voice. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you so much. Picking up Brenda Lee Johnson. The closer is now on Amazon Prime. All of the seasons, you can watch them. My mom has been watching. You can tell because her accent's actually gotten wor- worse over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> I was like, you watching the closer again? Yes. But what I would say is an object lesson from today, from this evening, is that when you um, when you join a new group of writers, and we are getting ready to go into nano, so you might be in a position where you'll be joining local nano groups. Um, uh, a couple of things: don't make accept, don't make assumptions about who's in the group and what they're capable of. Ask questions. Uh, when when you're asked questions, keep your answers brief, uh, because. You want to engage others and not overwhelm others in a, in a group situation like that. And if you've got someone who's overwhelming you with their conversation, they're not interested in um, giving you an equal exchange in the writing process, so you need to walk away from that. Two, um, be careful about admitting that you write fan fiction because there are certain nano groups that will be assholes about it. And, um, but there are others that are perfectly fine, you know, so it it just really depends. Um, I was in a nano group, uh, about five years ago and I wasn't, I was, um, I had two projects going on. I ended up writing quite a bit. Maybe it was six years ago. I don't remember. Anyway, I was writing fan fiction and I had something else going on on the side. Um, and there was another woman in there who was writing fan fiction and she admitted it. And people made some faces, and it pissed me off. So I was like, that's great. What fandom are you writing in? I just dug right in because I couldn't stand <laughs> her to get those dirty looks from people. She was writing Harry Potter. I said, is it snary? <laughs> no. I said, okay, then what's your writing? <laughs> it ended up being Harry Jenny. So we were not made for each other um 
I forget what I was writing that year, but I didn't tell her my project because my my fandom project because I didn't want her to connect me to it later. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, she's but, a big uh, Harry Jitty yeah. writer. You guys probably don't run in the same circles. <laughs> right. Uh, you you would think so. You would think so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, um, I come on Facebook and someone accused me um, – Someone said that uh, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond was a Mary Sufic. Who's the Mary Sue? I'm just curious. Right? I'm I'm curious too because um, Harry is deeply flawed in that fic. He he's not. Um, he's by no means perfect. He's powerful, yes, but perfect, no. Um, and Hermione's a hot mess. <laughs> so. Um, since neither one of them are perfect, I'm left to assume she's accusing me of doing a self-insert. And what? Which OC is you exactly? I think that is also a Mary Sue. That I wrote, I wrote Harry. I mean, I wrote Hermione as a self-insert. That doesn't even make any sense. Thaddeus. Absolutely. I'm going to go with Thaddeus. Thaddeus is my self-insert. Because deep down inside, I'm a badass. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with Thaddeus. <laughs> you know I cast Richard Armitage as Thaddeus. So absolutely, I'm 110% on board with that. <laughs> Richard Armitage is my inner badass. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, um, she was pro- she was pleasantly surprised how much she liked my Mary Sue fix. So, uh, uh, she wasn't saying it like it was a bad thing, I guess. She was praising you for your Mary Sue. It, it, it just struck me wrong. And maybe she is implying that um, I wrote a character too perfect to exist, but I'm not sure who it would be in that particular story. If Harry's a Mary Sue in any story, it is probably courting Hermione Granger, where he is practically perfect. <laughs> in every single way. <laughs> huh. I, 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 I'm just befuddled by that. Okay. Okay. I mean, so if I said after I'm I totally can't. I totally marry Susan Sucka McKay all the time. But in that particular story, I don't see it. So I think I, I feel like she has to be accusing me of writing a self insert because neither one of them are particularly perfect. And you can't say that Harry being really powerful is being a Mary Sue because that's not all it is, right? Right? Well, um,. It depends upon the, the, it the plant. Of, it's usually a female character. Well, yes. There's also the Gary Sue thing, but um, there's the um, the uh, the whole idea is that when a character comes in, they you know they 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 the, everything goes right for them. They do everything perfectly. Um, it doesn't matter if they're personally flawed. It's more of they're super powered. Everybody likes them. Super charismatic. Um, so the flaws are not. Uh, I mean, it, it it depends upon your your perspective on the Mary Sue thing, um, but 
on how you interpret a Mary Sue, but you know, I don't see Harry in that story as a Mary Sue personally. Is Hermione? If she is, you can tell me. I won't be insulted. I did. It just caught me off guard. Uh, I I would say maybe if, if in terms of degree, more so than Harry is. Uh, but right. they're both more so than in courting Hermione Granger than they are in Soulmate Bond. I would totally agree with that because that was my my feel good word baby. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, people started conflating Mary Sue's and self inserts because authors were self inserting and making the Mary Sue's. It became a big thing in fandom. And yes, typically, but by the definition of a Mary Sue, a canon character cannot be a Mary Sue. But um, in the realm of fan fiction, where we take uh, characters um, and typically idealize them, it, it often we often that that dynamic is turned on its head so that you actually do wind up idealizing a canon character who wasn't as ideal in canon. So, you know, by that measure, I marry Sue Tony to, you know, some degree. But, you know. <laughs> and we thank you for but, it. I don't know. It just, but there, it just startled me. I was like... <laughs> Um, but it's just, it's funny how people are, you know, it, 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 Mary Sue is a, it was so taboo. There were such issues with it. There was such, um, there's so much bad blood around Mary Sue's and fandom that the people who like Mary Sue's, they just get out there and own it. You know, they're just like, I'm, I'm Mary Suing this. They put it out there. Nobody else, nobody thinks that's a compliment unless the person is saying they're Mary Suing something um, because there is so much negative association to it in fandom um, with, you know, with fandoms, you know, erupting over. I mean, there were even, there were even groups and archives and stuff that had a no Mary Sue rule. Like you could possibly police that fucking thing. So um, to say to somebody, I'm surprised I enjoyed your Mary Sue fic, there's no way that that is a nice thing to say unless the person is saying, this is my Mary Sue fic. I love me and Mary Sue. <laughs> I'm going to Mary Sue everybody. And then you go, I'm surprised. I was surprised how much I enjoyed your Mary Sue fic. It was really enjoyable. Okay. But otherwise, it's, it's just like nobody thinks that that's a complimentary thing to say. Uh, because even, you know, like I said, it, it has, even if you... Like, I own the fact that I – I don't completely idealize Sonny. I try to give him some flaws, but I make him more ideal than he was in the show. So I, I own that, but I still would get irritated if somebody wrote me about – and I actually people have written me that I marry Sue Tony. So, oh, um, okay, so she responded. So apparently I wrote seemingly perfect characters. Seemingly perfect. Okay. I mean, I'm not mad at this person. I'm just confused. Because Harry is... Well, it arrogant, must be by her, def- it must be by her definition of per- perfect, perfect, right? It's, it's based upon her definition of perfect. So for her, arrogant, reckless must be per- per- perfect. 
Hermione is um, hesitant in her craft. She's a little judgmental. She's um, she jumps to conclusions really easily. She um, her ability to to recognize how big of a problem Ron is 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 ongoing. She ag- she antagonized Jenny Weasley and never noticed that she was cursed beyond any measure of it. She spent more time with Jenny Weasley than, than Harry did. Um, she is in the dorm with that girl on a regular basis, and she knew her for many years and did not notice that Jenny, um, number one, had more magic, and number two, was being regularly... Um, Spelled and cursed by her own brother. And she professed to have been Jenny's friend since... And she didn't even notice. Because she was so wrapped up in Harry. Um, I think a lot of that but, is nuanced. It's not even all that much nuanced. But it, it might be nuanced to somebody who's looking at, okay, they're both hot they're both popular they're both magically powerful they're both really intelligent harry's wealthy it's a very superficial measure of perfect so i would just i mean in my head i'm writing her off as being remarkably shallow sorry lady if you're hearing this podcast yeah i just called you shallow because your measure of perfect is based on really inconsequential shit I, you know, because the fact of the matter is, is that using the term Mary Sue is, is it's insulting. It's insulting to be called a Mary Sue care, a writer when you're not doing it on purpose. Um, so I told her that. I said, yeah, that it's actually considered to be quite insulting. I don't honestly think she meant to be insulting. Her language is a little passive aggressive. And I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I just um, pleasantly surprised. That's I had one a comment like that in the week, earlier in the week. What was? Let me see if I can find it. Um, it really, it really cracked me up when I saw it. Uh, I think sometimes you don't recognize when you're when you're making a comment that you're putting in language um, that can be. Um, Debatable. Like, uh, we had a comment on uh, Rough Trade earlier in the month, and we had to edit one word out of it, and it went from ambiguously insulting to praise. (laughs) With one word. One word change. I'm pleasantly surprised by how much I like this. This was just about perfect. <laughs> These are passive aggressive language quirks that you have um that you probably engage in on a regular basis, but when they're coming um when they're on the screen versus coming out of your mouth, um it can change the way they're viewed by other people. Yeah. And that 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 comment that we edited that had the one word change, it was the word just as well. Just is a word that we use reflexively without thinking about what we're saying with it. I even vaguely remember the comment. It was something like, um, 
I love this. It was perfect. The epilogue was just icing. Just icing, really. So it had no other purpose than that. <laughs> it was completely <laughs> pointless. You just wrote off a whole chapter of this person's work with the word just. That's not what changed what, it. That's not what they meant. Right? It, it isn't, isn't because what they you take up. Right, because you take out the word just, the epilogue was icing. It was like you gave me this great cake and you gave me icing. It was like, wow. But when you say it's just icing, it's like I really, all I really cared about was cake. I, the word just can be very, very um, – it, it's like but, you know. It, it, can, it can change the tone completely of what you're saying. But like I said before, I'm really not upset with her. I was just kind of startled, and I was like, <laughs> but also sometimes you do use terms that you don't know the history of and you should be careful like I um, saw somebody use the term um, Chan and they used it in a context that they literally had no idea what they were talking about so I sent them a message and I was saying you, you do know that Chan means adults and children right they had no clue they had no idea they thought that it was um, underage kids together. Oh, now she's embarrassed. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I hope she's not listening to this podcast. Um, but uh, because she had no idea that she was using the wrong word. And I think that probably happens a lot, especially with people coming into fandom and they don't know what these terms mean. And they use them in ways that they really have no business using them. Um, which is why I had when it. I first entered fandom, I ended up looking up a lot of shit. Like I had no idea what a lemon was, but apparently there's a whole citrus um scale <laughs> for anime, and I had <laughs> I was like, I'm glad I don't read the anime. I didn't be able to keep up with all these lemons and oranges and grapefruit. <laughs> Well, what's weird, what's bizarre to me, I don't, I don't care if, if anime had its, its, its scale. What was strange to me was that adultfanfiction.net adopted that uh, rating classification as its standard. It's like, really? Um, why? Because that's <laughs> almost making it, I mean, it, it's not like anime is the biggest thing on, on adultfanfiction.net, right? So they've just made it harder for I had the Chan conversation with somebody once who'd been talking with people on Live Journal about Chan, and I just was the whole I was really surprised she was into Chan, and she said, "What do you mean?" And we had that little that chat, and there's this long pause, and she goes, "Oh my God, you mean I just was sitting there talking to a bunch of perverts?" <laughs> <laughs> she had no idea what she was talking about. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, but, you know, it takes a lot for me to actually get pissed off about feedback like this. Um, I'm lucky to get pissed off about, you know, people trying to offer me um, unsolicited, uh, constructive, not-so-constructive not so criticism. Um, I said it before and I'll say it again. Readers are not qualified to give a writer constructive feedback on their craft. Um, you don't know a damn thing about what they want to do with their manuscript. You don't know, um, going into it, you have no idea what their goals were for the characters, what their goals were for the plot. 
the most you can do without having a discussion with the writer about their project is correct their grammar. And a line edit is not constructive criticism or feedback for that matter. No, it really isn't. So, and man, some so readers typos do not like hearing constructive they, feedback. No, typo. Yeah. Unless the only way, the only time that grammar function, spelling grammar punctuation rises to the level of constructive feedback is when somebody has a systemic issue and the person who is has been invited to discuss it with them knows enough about it to help guide them into what the issue is and how to correct it. And it would have to be and, a, a global issue. Otherwise, right. it's just a line edit. And there's a big difference between um, constructive um, feedback, alpha reading, beta reading, and a line edit, you know. And there's a, there's a huge difference. <clears throat> the line editor, editor in the publishing house, they're the last line, literally, um, be, um, before the print proof. If you're, um, if you're getting a print copy, a, a print run, um, there's a, but the line editor's last. And they have no um, – they normally – unless they get, you know, uh, too big for their britches, they normally have no input on your characterization, on your plot, um, on your GMC, nothing. They have nothing. They have zero to offer on that. They correct your grammar. And if you use, I don't know, if you change your character's age ten times in a single book, which I did want, they, they're supposed to fix that. <laughs> So, some readers really don't like hearing, though, that they're not um, qualified. And I don't know why that would be, because even if you were in the writing industry in some fashion, you're not part of it. You have no idea what's going on with that person's story. So how in the world could you possibly qualify to critique it? Right. Actually, there's a reason why critique is done after the fact, but um, like you said over, like you said before, it's it's feedback is would be if the person was invited into the process, they would be giving them feedback. How would you define a Mary Sue? Um, super shallow perfect character with no character development? Me? Yeah. Um, I usually see Mary Sue's, they're usually the person who, it's their impact on the story that often defines them. Like they are attractive, they can fix everything just by walking through the room. Um, They usually have money, um, Sometimes they have. Uh, sometimes you'll see a character like uh, ostensibly their flaw is that they're bitchy or something, and yet nobody seems to mind their bitchiness. It's seen as charming. Um, <laughs> so when, when their when their flaws okay, are okay. seen as as um, a positive trait, um, that feeds into the Mary Mary Sue thing. You can't you can't say it's a flaw when the character's written as their flaw being something that everybody loves. So. Um, but it's usually the fact that, you know, they fix everything, everybody loves them. Um, 
I think most writers who even like Mary Sue's do try to at least give them some appearance of not being exactly perfect, but it's their impact on the story. They fix everything. Everything is better. They can solve the problems that nobody else could solve just by being there and, you know. That's how I look at a Mary Sue is they're the, the one who fixes the story. Which is why it used in, in fandom it used to be a, a canning uh, an original character because it would be that and it, and it usually was perceived as a self insert because you'd have this you know this OC um, female OC who just nobody knew them but everybody loved them the minute they met them. Um, they fixed everything. Everything went better when they were around. They saw that they saw through all the problems and found easy solutions. You know, it's just they were nice to everyone or bitchy to everyone, and yet everybody loved it. You know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, the kind of the kind of Mary Sue's I saw back in the the you know some of the early, earlier days for fandom for me, which would have been the late nineties. Um, I did not enjoy the characters. It was not. I didn't even know what a Mary Sue was at that point. But I just felt like the characters were so contrived. They didn't fit. It was like, why is this character there? Um, and why are two two guys falling in love with her when I, I don't understand what relationship she has to this to anything? You know, um, it just it, they struck me as very contrived. Um, and yet, they I always think Mary Sue is. Very shallow. Their their characterization is very shallow, and there's no growth. Um, they come onto the scene perfect, and they never change. Yeah, but it, but again, it depends upon your 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 metric of perfect because perfect for what the story needs. So if you need a, a warrior because they're in trouble, you know it'll be the you know the the woman who's who's the number one rated sniper in, in America. Right, so you know it's, it's like because they need a sniper, so yeah, that you have this perfect character who's a sniper, and so it's perfect for the story, not so much just perfect. Because I mean, for all we know, you know, the waitress in every scene is a Mary Sue. It's just you know, she's on screen enough, but we don't perceive her that way because she's not having that impact on the story. She's not practically perfect in solving everything, and the hero falls in love with her as she swans out, hey, out the door. Hey, so. don't don't slander Wesley Crusher. My inner thirteen-year-old will have a fit because I had a humongous crush <laughs> on Will, uh, on Will Wheaton when I was young. I regret nothing. I'm not even ashamed. I was a member of his fan club. Shut up. <laughs> See, I never, it never, I, I've heard the Mary, the Wesley Crusher the, thing before, but I never saw him that way because he was getting in trouble all the time. Um, <laughs> he was always fucking up, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, he screwed up a lot. And I, but I've heard people call him a Mary Sue uh, before. I don't, I, it was never a perception I had. I mean, yeah, he did. I will say he did come to the rescue time and time again, but he, he got in trouble just as often. Mary Sue's don't get in trouble. Let's be real.
Pharisees are distracted. Right? I mean, I don't know. I just, um, I always consider Mary Sue to be very um, superficial and uh, um, they come on to the scene perfect and they stay that way. Well, I've, My I've read getting worse, some, worse, worse. <laughs> I've read some that I thought oh, had some depth, but they were writer inserts, acknowledged writer inserts, self-inserts. So, um, you know, the author was portraying themselves, but they were portraying, certainly portraying an idealized version of themselves in the story. But just the awareness of that, I don't know, it, it, it's like the fourth wall break from hell. I just, you can't get past it. It's like I'm not reading something fictional anymore. I'm reading this weird hybrid of Slash with RPF in it <laughs> because I know that this is this writer that I talk to all the time, and it's just at least how this how she perceives herself. Um, I don't know. It creates a big disconnect for me. I, I can't. I, I would rather have a Mary Sue, frankly, than a self-insert. Especially if you're going to self-insert, don't tell me because I just I, I, I can't deal with that. <laughs> Unless you're married I, I don't to want to self-insert, <laughs> which apparently I don't, I don't, that yeah, yeah. That well, because that, what happens is people who self-insert themselves into stories, you know, they tended to idealize themselves, right? So they would create an idealized version of themselves who is practically perfect in every way, um, which is fine if that's what you want to do. That you know, do that. But uh, it just it's a big disconnect in my mind because I don't like reading about real people. So if once you tell me that's you, I'm like no. No. <laughs> so if if it's going to be, um, unless it's like one scene, right? I'm making a guest appearance in the scene to, I don't know, bitch slap somebody or whatever. Then whatever. But if it's a if it's a central character, I can't deal with the idea that I that going in knowing that that's the author. Startling, and now that she's gotten a full definition, she, you know, and I've embarrassed the shit out of her on a group. I did, I did not mean to do. Um, she apologized and took it back, but it, it wasn't my intention. I was just really shocked, <laughs> you know, because. But she wasn't using the word correctly, because you know, I mean, if, if you're going to accuse me of writing a Mary Sue, I would bring up, um, uh, courting Hermione Granger, because. <laughs> Harry really is practically perfect in that fic. That was the whole point. He was this amazing, um, lordly gentleman <laughs> who swept her off her feet and was content to wait to get married. And all he wanted to do was marry her, even if it killed him. And that was, yeah, he's totally a Mary Sue. <laughs> Ellie's ruining you know, me. She's ruining my least, life right now. Stop it. That's perfect um that perfect Mary Sue but I do think that Harry grows in courting Hermione Granger and and he does go through um a series of events that kind of changes him so I wouldn't say he's shallow um but um although I have been accused of um self-inserting because I have a terribly smart mouth and I tend to favor terribly smart-ass snarky characters 
But Rodney says a lot of things I would never say. (laughs) And I say a lot of things that Rodney would never say. So there. There. Because I don't think anybody, I don't think Rodney would ever, ever call somebody an unfun kind of cocksucker. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) And my husband was like, no, I I don't see that. What's the unfun kind? I was like, you know, their teeth get in the way. (laughs) (laughs) They have a terrible gag reflex. (laughs) They don't swallow. Yeah, myself are myself inserted Winky, specifically Winky and Darkly Loyal. Because <laughs> if there was a Nandu preserve, I would totally throw people in it. <laughs> Francis, Francis is my favorite. Francis is everyone's favorite. if anybody had any writing questions and I didn't see any anybody ask any if I missed a question or if I if because I'm saying I didn't see any questions that means if you wrote a question I totally missed it so and I've been trying to watch the chat so ask some questions dudes but no I mean I you know I'm honestly I I was uh, I'm not upset with this woman and I never was I was just startled so please don't go over to where that group is and, and pick because that's not the point. Um, I I don't want that. I just I was startled and I was like, <laughs> but I already had a very frustrating day. Now if I knew where he lived, <laughs> if I knew his name on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, we need to we need to give him some some love. <laughs> I don't, you know, um, I, you know, I'll be honest. Um, male riders, there have been times when, when the most grief I've ever gotten in the riders group has come from male riders to the point where um, when we get a new male rider um, in our group, he it uh, sci-fi rider is inclined to take them aside. And tell them if you're going to be an asshole to the women in the group, you don't you don't get to stay. Because more often than not, it's the men in the group who have the potential to treat women, female riders like they aren't as important, or they don't have as much to contribute. Um, oh, you just write romance. What do you know about the craft? That dude said that once, and he got the door, and he, and he was never allowed back. And it wasn't even to me he said it to. That was about six years ago. Um, so, you know, and so sometimes when a man joins our little our little cabal, whatever you want to call it, um, I am a little, 
reserved about how they're going to to interact with the rest of the group. But I don't make assumptions. I just I just let them do their thing, and I was letting him do his thing until Sahar Rider lost his lost his um his cool. <laughs> it ruined my fun. <laughs> I was like, "Damn it, dude! I had plans." He goes, "I couldn't take it." <laughs> I lasted as long as I could. But my mama was wall-eyed. You know that look. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe, maybe Sapphire Hour just saved that dude's life. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe he was about to get a smack down. To, um, not the same fetus from the coffee shop, um, but the fetus who implied, who said that my mother shouldn't be there because she wasn't a writer. <laughs> oh no no no! You don't get to you make don't mess with Mama like Marcos. <laughs> no, you don't make decisions That's not like on. that. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> you know, truthfully, she spent so much time with the group. She knows more about crafts than than most people who do write, <laughs> especially new ones. That's not how I define fun times, boo. I was not having fun times in the middle of the coffee shop. (laughs) In front of my mother. (laughs) Just saying. But yeah, yeah, he did ruin my entertainment, I would say. Writing question. Are you here? How I'm here. How do you decide on how much or what parts of your fic is best served as dialogue and what isn't? Well, that's that's actually a really complicated question. (laughs) Um, This boils it down to a balance of narrative exposition and dialogue. Um, Mm -hmm. you are encouraged professionally on on the professional level to write in a very active fashion. Um, Books that are written um, with active language uh, and and fast-paced, that are fast-paced and have a lot of dialogue are more entertaining, um, which brings your reader back to you. So your pace is tight, your exposition is tight but short, your dialogue is snappy. They're not asking for much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't. I can. I can come. I can kind of come at this from. Oh, sorry. That probably sounded loud to you guys. I just slapped my hand into my microphone. I'm not sure what it was it doing down there. Um, it, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was under my chin. At least on my end. I, it's, it's not where it usually it belongs. Um, so let's think about when dialogue does not serve you, because in general, when you favor show, um, show, you know, to show, not tell, um, dialogue's usually better for that. So let's talk about when dialogue is not better. Um, there comes a part in conversations that are pedantic. That's minutia. It's, it's, it's in every conversation it's there. Okay. Like, 
your characters are going out to dinner. Um, the actual conversation with the waiter, the ordering, what they ordered, the drink orders, the problems with the order, all of that is not helping you. You don't need it. Unless there's something really critical about that ordering process. But like the waiter rolling up and saying, hey, my name is Brad. Our specials are this, this, and this. And you list the specials and you ask questions. I mean, and, I, and it, this may sound ridiculous to some of you, but I have read stories where this is all in dialogue. And I think this is someone who's been told not to use exposition, but it would be better to use two sentences to say their waiter arrived and they placed a dinner order than to spend two pages going over the specials and going back and forth and debating about, you know, are you going to get the salmon? Because, you know, if you're going to get the salmon, I might get the steak, and then we can have bites of each other. I mean, it's just, it's just dumb. It, it loses the scene lacks focus, and um, makes it, sometimes there's something critical that happens in a scene like that, and you'll want to zero in on the part that's important. Um, like um, they're ordering dinner. They said they began their dinner, their dinner order, uh, and then you switch to dialogue and have it be Rodney asked, is there any citrus in it made in any of the preparation, any of the severe citrus allergy? You zoom in on that part. You go back to them finishing their dinner and drink order. Then they go back to the conversation that remains the story. Then dinner arrives. There's citrus in something. Rodney has an anaphylactic reaction. It was important to zoom in on the fact that he may ask that question, that it was very clear. Da, da, da. So I use restaurant that because actually I read something recently, that's why it kind of jumped out at me, the whole restaurant thing, where there was an absurd amount of detail, like two pages of ordering. <laughs> um, now, ordering I give, and I give a direct example of where this would actually be, um, where I did this. Um, there's a scene in Hold My Coffee where John takes Meredith to a restaurant. Um, and she's very used to basically being um, a hassle in restaurants. And so... Um, John made her a priority and um, arranged ahead of time to make sure that their personal chef who was going to be coming to the table would pay attention to her allergies. And for the first time ever, she was allowed to order anything off the menu safely. And that was me demonstrating that, that John was um, making Meredith a priority. Later on, when they're in Canada, they sit down to have breakfast with the Millers. And both her sister and her sister's husband are kind of annoyed that she brings up her food allergy. And John put them on the spot for it and said, you know, if you have a problem, you know, uh, basically uh, catering to her deathly allergy, we can eat elsewhere. And those were very two purposeful scenes because... Rodney's allergy in SGA canon is treated like a joke, and it really bothers the shit out of me. Um, yeah. So I I wanted John to take it seriously from the very beginning and to give Meredith a sense of safety there, that he's watching, he's paying attention, and he has her back. And those are very specific scenes where the food was brought up, but mostly just because, you know, Madison was a bacon thief. Um <laughs> As any kid should be. 
<laughs> All my nieces and nephews are bacon thieves. If you got bacon on your plate, if you're not, you can, you better be careful because <laughs> it will disappear off your plate. <laughs> Those little kids can't be trusted around bacon. Um, That's right. But but neither can I. I'm just be perfectly honest. Uh, so, um, but in other instances, food is 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 mentioned in passing. You know, so. You focus on it when it's important. You gloss over it when it's not, which is like, which is right. that's a live example of what Jilly was talking about. Right. So there, there are a lot of situations you'll run into like that where it, it's perf- where it's perfectly reasonable to do a little bit of exposition to cover a large chunk of conversation that's banal that doesn't move your plot forward. That is, hi, how are you? You know, what are you doing? You don't need to show the small talk. You know, I mean, there's, it's called small talk for a reason, right? So, I mean, unless you're using it as a vehicle to like show somebody's nerves, which you can, you can use a banal conversation to like show somebody stumbling over talking about the weather. And actually, it's an interesting contrast because. The com- the topic is so innocuous, and yet they're having a hard time speaking. That it really speaks profoundly to to their to their emotional state without having to say what their emotional state is. Uh, but otherwise, just in general, you want to skip over the parts of the conversation that are rote, gloss over them in a sentence or two. Um, there are reasons why people sometimes do a scene a scene break in a conversation. It's like they go to sit down to dinner and there's nothing significant discussed during dinner, so you'll get a scene break and you come back to the action after dinner's over. Because uh, that's a scene break's appropriate because you have a lo- potentially a location and a time differential change, so you scene break. Um, although you could also tr- do a transition via exposition where you explain what happened at dinner in a in a short paragraph and then you don't have to do a scene break but both are completely reasonable choices so in general you want to talk about the things that are important to your story um the conversation and now if you're writing a romance the flirting could be important so banal conversation that's done flirtatiously could be very important to your story so it's just you got to weigh what is important to move your story forward, and what also isn't. avoid repeating repeating yourself because you don't need to repeat the same details. Don't go to the bathroom on the page because I know you know they go. It's not important to my story that you know when my character took a piss. <laughs> so, right. et cetera. <laughs> We all do that. We don't need to talk about it during the day. <laughs> they're eating more meals than you see on the screen. They're they're sleeping. They're they're doing their bathroom business. You know that's that stuff that's happening in the background of your story that you don't have to um, do a total focus on. Um, also, you can use kind of mm, like banal activity, this isn't such a dialogue thing, as a frame for a very intense conversation. Like, um, I think in one story I have Tony making pasta while he's 
having a very intense conversation with somebody. Now, the, the I don't I can't I can't say that I did you know that I walked the, that I got the balance right in that scene, but I hope I did. But the balance you're trying to achieve is not give too much detail about the thing that's wrote, but use it to frame what's happening because you can use subtle things to convey information. So instead of um, so instead of saying, you know, he said angrily as your dialogue tag, you could, you know, have him be like, what do you mean by that? He needed the pasta with excess and force, you know, and you're conveying through an action beat the same thing in a more show, not tell kind of way. So, Which makes it actually a very active scene versus a passive scene, and you always want your writing to be active. Um, movement dynamics um, because that makes for a more entertaining read. So it, it's about, if you're going to use anything that's tedious, whether it's dialogue or activity. Driving. You have driving. You have to counterbalance it with the, inter, the what's interest and cut out the parts that really are too much. So like... Um, there was uh, when Kira wrote Meredith in um, in Hold My Coffee, she zoomed in on the things that are important to show the advancing their advancing relationship and how John is with Meredith and all of that. Uh, and yet, but she still glossed over some things because um, tedious dialogue is not something Kira really falls prey to. So. <laughs> um, no, no. But I think so I did it one point in my life, and that's just something that I've um, um, gone o- over the years. I've worked that out of my craft, you know. And that's, I mean, that's, that is, it is a practice thing. And one of the ways you practice it is you read it in other people's writing, and it frustrates you, and then you go and you look at something you wrote and realize you did the same thing. Because you're sitting there going, because, you know, it, when you're reading a story and the pace is just slaughtered by a whole bunch of detail about something stupid, okay, something not important. Um, you, it, it frustrates you, okay? So because you want to you stay with the action, you want to stay with what's going on. So as a reader, you're, you're having that reaction to what you're reading. And then when you go back and look at your own writing – look at it. You have to be you have to be able to look at your own writing objectively and say, do I do that? Do I get bogged down in unnecessary detail? Um, some detail is also another thing to kind of look at is the detail may not be unnecessary, but if your audience is not going to be able to understand it, uh, I'm not sure who that detail's for. So I've read like NCIS fan fiction or I said NCIS as an example, but the fandom I'm thinking of actually was an NCIS, where there is so much scientific information. And I consider myself fairly well informed on matters of science. I'm not a scientist, uh, but I actually studied biology in, in college. That was my major. So, um, no slouch. <laughs> I, I get it. I can de- I can roll with the science. And it, this whole story was over my head. Um, and that's frustrating that I don't understand what the characters are talking about and I have to keep consulting 
a dictionary, and I finally just gave up on it. Um, so the author either works in a science field, which is my assumption, or they did a lot of research, and because they had done all that research, felt like they needed to convey it. Um, if your readers, that that is just pure vanity. So if you if you care about the craft and not just if if you just want to do it, do it. But if it's about writing a story with good pacing, um, writing things you're, that the majority of your readership are not going to understand. Um, a word here and there, I'm not talking about a little bit here and there, but when you have like entire scenes and the subject matter and the science is at such a level that only a scientist is going to understand this, um, I mean, who's your target audience? That All that dialogue is ruined. And there's just no point. Whereas all of that detail could have been glossed over in layman's terms. So when it comes to dialogue, dialogue should always help your pace. It should always be moving things along. Dialogue should feel in the moment. It should feel riveting. It should feel like the story is moving. If it, you're bogged down in dialogue because of you know, unnecessary detail in the conversation, then you're talking about the wrong things. And you're destroying your pace. And the other thing that will destroy your pace um, is, uh, I see this mostly in new writers, very new writers, in that in narrative and in exposition um, parts of your story, you practically talk to your reader. Now, I'm not talking about second person. I'm talking about there is this casual language. in third-person writing, speaking to your reader about the details of your story. And it's hard to give an example, but I know you've read works where the writer is using language like, and now he's going... to the store. Like you're telling somebody what this person's doing. Like you're talking to somebody. Instead of, I'm not articulating it. Help me out. Well, there's you know what I mean? I see. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, in third person, even actually writers do this in first person too. Um, I read something in first person recently where, and the thing is in third person, you might not notice it. But in third per in first person you will because in third person if somebody says, um, "Well, that was crazy, comma right?" question mark in the narrative, you might not think much about it. But who is that narrator talking to? That was crazy, right? Is, is he talking to himself? Narrative is not talking to yourself, and a lot of third person narrative comes across as either the character talking to themselves or talking to the reader, and that is not the third-person point of view. That's the second-person um, point of view, which you should annoy, you should, you should avoid like the fucking plague. But in first person, it will jump out at you when somebody does that in first person. Because in first person, that person's going along, right? They're going, wow, that was crazy, am I right? And you're sitting there going, who is this person talking to? Are, are they talking to me? And it's very jarring. It's very jarring when somebody does that. 
Uh, but see, it, so it's people tend to not notice it in third person as much because a lot a a lot of people do it. Um, I mean, there are times I'm sure I slipped and had Tony talking to himself practically in the narration, and the narration he's not supposed to be noticing his own narration. Otherwise, you have a suspension of it, it, that's a the, the character knowing they're a character is that's what is that called when the character knows they're a character? Fourth I guess that's wall a fourth wall break. Yeah, that's yeah, fourth, you don't. It's a type of fourth do wall not break. break the fourth wall in third person. Do not break yeah, the but, fourth wall in first person. It is bad craft. Unless you're Deadpool. Um, <laughs> I have read a couple of like MCU stories where the author does a brilliant job of having Deadpool and only Deadpool do fourth wall breaks. Uh, and it's just like that is that is hysterical because nobody has any idea what Deadpool's talking about, and yet you know Deadpool's talking to the audience. Typical Deadpool, right? Um, right. Well, but to slot that character, right? But you slot that into um, MCU, where it, it just—I don't know—where you're like Tony Stark sitting right next to him and just says, "Like I never, he never knows what Deadpool's talking about." So. It's just, I don't know, it's, it was brilliant. But in general, unless you really, really understand what you're doing, um, that's, like, that's like advanced point of view craft. Don't do it. Don't fourth wall break. And it's an unintentional fourth wall break. But the, the character being aware of their own narration is, is a fourth wall break of type. So, so it's, talking to the audience, is, that, that actually is the fourth wall break. It is the character can interact with the audience because they know their character. So there's 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 that. That's actually a, in the narrative. Um, how what was what was the exact wording of the question? Sometimes what, what needs to be in dialogue and what doesn't. Um, also, right. Sometimes when you're writing a story, there is information that needs to be relayed multiple times. Um, this is a this is a juggling act about how to get this right. Some authors go the route of they relay important information once and then they never repeat it in any fashion. They just say he was brought up to speed, he was briefed on the situation. Now, that might be fine in a 20K story, but if you're in a 250,000 or 300,000 word story and that information was in the first 10,000 words and you're on word about word 120,000, you're not going to remember what the fuck that was. So, so it would be a good idea you, to let your reader know again. Right. So this, how do you balance repetition against um, – because generally you don't want to repeat details. So like if you've told it once, don't tell it again. But there's a couple of ways to do it. One is if it's a simple thing, you you gloss over it. Um, so you, know, you would say – and you would do it in a – you, you would add on, I'm trying to think about a phrase, this. you add on the pieces that are new. So you start in a narrative. So you have like, you know, Tony got um, Ian, up, Ian up to speed on the case that was happening, um, including um, the, the woman who'd been kidnapped. And that's the piece of information you gave earlier in the story is the details of the case and the kidnapping. And the reason why you want to refresh your reader's memories in case they don't remember it's a kidnapping, what case he's there about, blah, 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 blah. Okay? So you refresh the reader's memory, and then you add on dialogue 
for Ian's new piece of this, right? So you can get an update in in a very dynamic way. You give a little bit of narration to explain, give a refresh the reader's memory, and then instead of repeating everything, the dialogue focuses on Ian's reaction, Ian's questions, and Ian can tease out new information that the reader doesn't know yet. And you've repeated information without actually literally repeating it. I hope that made sense. It did. To me, anyway. Okay. <laughs> and, and if you've got a really long story and you've got a lot of different um, – like, let's, I mean, if you're working like a, a – procedural crime drama, they could be working on multiple cases, right? So you can't just be obtuse and say the case. What case? Which one? If you've referenced six, how is the reader supposed to know? So you have to juggle repetition and then figure out if you're going to repeat stuff in dialogue, figure out how to make the spin on it new. This so that you're not just... In episode work? Um, where you want your episodes to stand and be a part of your whole series, you might have to repeat choice details throughout your series to keep your reader in the loop, especially if you have 25 or 30 episodes. Yeah. As one does. And by that, I mean me. <laughs> she means her. Because I, the longest series I've got plotted doesn't have 30 episodes. <laughs> um, so those are the easy ones. I would call those some of the easy ones. The more complicated ones are relating to figuring out and understanding what serves, what is about your main character and serves your plot. So... This is it. This is I would call this the hardest one. It's like information is being given. Characters, things are happening, and you have to decide if it's going to be on screen or not. If it's going to be on screen, you're going to put most of it in dialogue. So really, that's the decision: is is this thing that's going to happen, this bit of conversation, going to be an on-screen thing or not? If it's going to be on screen, it needs to serve your story. Um, I've abused this one a little bit. I try to do it judiciously, but I have abused this a little bit. Uh, there are times in stories where um, if, you're, if, if my story is about Tony and about him leaving, okay, and it's mostly told from his point of view or all told from his point of view, which would be typically my preference, um, if the story is about him, it might be kind of like viscerally satisfying to the reader to see all the disciplinary conversations that have happened, but they may not serve the story. So if it's from Tony's point of view and it's about Tony and he's going to Hawaii, the conversations where Gibbs rips into Abby, Tim, McGee, McGee, Ziva, those probably don't serve that story. Um, so as tempting as they might be, it just has to be acknowledged that it happened off screen. And the decision is not to write it because it doesn't move the story forward. It's just vanity. And sometimes the vanity scene is fun. 
Now, I did write all of them in De Novo, um, but that was actually more about Jenny than it was about Tony because Jenny was one of the um, three POV. I had three POV characters in that story, and Jenny was one of them. And the story that she she was the subplot, her um, pulling her career out and doing the right thing was the big subplot. So... um, her interactions and how she went about that and her realizations of what mistakes, the things she had done, what it had caused was important. So while it was satisfying that all those conversations happened on screen, they also served the purpose of it all being from the lens of Jenny. Um, I was writing a bad Jenny kind of story kind of thing or Jenny, you know, a different, a different Jenny, like memories. None of that would have ever been seen on screen. So that's a case of where action's happening, but it's not so much about should it happen in dialogue or not, is it should this be happening on screen at all? It's not really a dialogue decision. It's a, does the scene serve your story? I hope that made sense. So I think some <clears throat> fandoms uh, lend themselves to thinking or they model, I would say like some of the more popular authors in the fandom, model the idea that there is no scene that shouldn't appear in the story. <laughs> and I, I strongly disagree with that. It might be good fan fiction, but it's not necessarily good writing. But there's also that brand of reader that if it doesn't appear on the screen, then it simply didn't happen. Like, they believe that... Like, I had someone comment on Harry... Um, 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 recording Hermione Granger, that they were upset to have missed the sex um, when they had seen absolutely every other aspect of their relationship. No, you didn't. I glossed over dates, lunches, dinners, all of it. Oh. Like months of dating, I glossed over. Yeah, because nobody gets married uh, with, what was that, 60,000 words of dialogue? Assuming you had 60,000 words of dialogue, I mean, who gets married with that little conversation? <laughs> it sounds like right? a lot, but it's not. If you were to capture every conversation, every scene leading up to them getting married, you'd still be writing. I would still be writing, and, and that story would be a half a million words at the minimum. It'd be more, because I'm a chatty bitch, and... um so, yeah, I mean, I don't like, know that's what happened. <laughs> you know, as but a thought experiment. I about sex in that, in that um, book, so, or the lack of sex in that book. So. You know, it's, it's, it's funny as a thought experiment. I mean, Courtney Hermione Granger was, it, 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 it was a romance. It, it had also, it was tightly plotted, too. So um, there was that, the whole plot was, well, actually, I won't spoil it if nobody's read it, but, the thing, the guy, actually a really hard time with that guy, um, with the spell. Anyway, um, but yeah. uh, if, so you take a, a plot story, a plot-driven story, um, and you keep that same plot, 
but you put in every single scene with them together, every conversation, every moment, and you switch it from being plot-driven or even relationship-driven to being a slice-of-life story, a really long one. Because no no plot survives, um, you know, that, that much. Kind of detail. Yeah, it just doesn't. It's not interesting. Although I there I probably okay if there's Harry Hermione shippers listening to this writing me to tell me that they would love to read that I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear it Well I know they would because I have actually I have there there's a very popular fic in that particular ship that is very much just like that and it is super popular um, and I'm like I couldn't read all of that um, so yeah I got bored. It was just one big, huge slice of life. And, and that's, that, that right there is a preference thing. I don't like slice of life stories in general. Now, every once in a while, somebody sends me 3,000 words of slice of life, and I go, that was a lot of fun. Um, but that's about my threshold for it, is it's like a scene that, you know, we'll call it curtain fic. It's people going to, they, literally curtain fic, people going to buy curtains. And if the dialogue's witty, it's fun. It doesn't necessarily have to have a purpose. It, it was just its purpose was to be entertaining. Um, but when you start pushing into novel, long novel, epic length, what the fuck length, that's I just I can't. I'm not I'm not interested. <laughs> I need something. You got to give me more than just you know. It's another day. I live It's Another Day. I don't want to read it. You know, so, but there's like this line, right? Because you, cause I don't want people to assume shit about my work that I didn't write. But I do need you to assume that shit happens, like, you know, literally shit. Um, and, you know, they go to the bathroom and, and they jerk off first thing in the morning. I mean, I just, I, I need you to assume that shit happens. <laughs> But don't assume important shit. <laughs> right. Assume that they get up, brush their teeth, take a shower, just like everybody else. Or maybe they're a nighttime shower, but even that detail is not particularly interesting. Because the only time I you see Harry in the shower in um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is when, and then when there's something happening in there, <laughs> in the bathroom area, it, that has that's purpose. That's right. Beyond sexy times. <laughs> Which also has purpose. <laughs> because really, the, I, I know the question was about dialogue, but it can... that. That's because we straight into narrative already. The same rules basically apply to narration in a lot of ways. Is don't focus on stuff that doesn't matter. Like you don't need to go through every detail. Like your character, if you're writing a um, in NCIS, for example, and Tony's getting ready to leave for work or he gets up in the morning you don't need to write write every detail of his morning you don't need to write every detail of i mean who what does it do serve you to have 
how long he was in the bathroom, that his shower was only five minutes, that he was out of body wash, um, his jeans were fitting a little bit too tight. Uh, I mean, what is this, what is this, you know, that he, um, I don't know, needed to put baggies in his go bag, so he did. I mean, it's just, you could, you could waste, you can burn a lot of words. Meandering through is a scene that doesn't actually is a story. But it is a waste. She was she she didn't she didn't misspeak. When when you when you waste time talking about how your your character um puts on his socks or adjusts his dick in his pants. I mean, we don't need to know that. I mean, I don't need to know if if Tony's hanging to the left or to the right. <laughs> Although I've seen the pictures of Michael Weatherly that I'm pretty sure he hangs to the right. But <laughs> he dresses to the right. Uh, that's, that's what that actually means, you know. Um, yeah. So um, indeed. Indeed. Unless you're talking about in a BDSM context. Right, and that's different. The first time my husband had to get a suit fitted, I went with him, and I had never watched a man get a suit fit, um, fitted. And um, he's standing up on the thing, and um, the tailor asked him. Do you dress to the left or the right? And I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? And he said, he said, he said, dress to the right. And um, and so we get out, and I'm like, what the hell did he mean by the dress or the left or the right? He said, where the dick hang, babes? <laughs> where, the, where the dick's hanging? They 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 leave a little extra room on on the side that you dress so that your dick doesn't get um, pinched by the highlighted <laughs> too much or get you know messed up i was like oh i just i was in my 20s i had no idea i when he when they asked i thought it was about which what he put in his pants first (laughs) why did that matter (laughs) that should not matter at all that's not what that meant so now you know if you didn't know and i assume most of you did know but if you didn't know that's what that means you know where where the dick is hanging yeah, I I have to say I got involved in I got involved in BDSM when I, I think I was eighteen. Um, so I learned the BDSM context of which way you dress, somebody dresses before I understood the dick hanging thing. So I had I I was probably in my late twenties before I actually um, understood the 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 the, norm, the the conventional context <laughs> for which way somebody dresses. <laughs> And if you if you only know from the BDSM context, we start talking about you know um, dressing left, and and you're pretty sure they're submissive, and so you're confused. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good to understand that context. Like really, I wouldn't have pegged, I wouldn't have pegged you as a dom. Really, I, I just I just takes all kinds. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But I really don't, you know, you don't need to include it in your fic unless your character is literally getting a suit fitted and he's having a conversation with the tailor while that's going on and the tailor asks him. And the the tailor should, if he's tailoring his pants, he should definitely ask him if he dresses to the left or to the right. Apparently that's important. (laughs) 
as information he well, needs to have. I have read some stories that are like it's almost like a mood piece where like or or the scene is like a, is mood where you've got a character he's getting ready to go out and find someone to fuck him through the floor and that's it and there's this whole vibe about the getting dressed um and if it's done well it really sets a tone for what that character's mental that state is, is tone setting and that's different yeah yeah i mean that that's but, part of your characterization and that is and that again comes down to that whole thing of setting is what you're doing in service of your plot and if part of your plot is that character going out and getting banged i gotta stop using that word um which we highly approve of yes we would highly approve of that bang we do approve banging um you you might want to have that kind of mood piece that would be in service of your story, um, especially if they're doing something that's out of character for them or that they don't get to indulge in often, let's say. Let's say you're writing Tony who can't be out at work, and so he's going out of town so he can finally get laid. And so this is the whole thing he does. I mean, it would really set a tone and say a lot yeah. about what it's like for him to go do that. So that's not unnecessary detail because it is – that is the point of your story. So, you so got on this hypothetical it. situation where he gets all dolled up and 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 does some stuff and goes somewhere to get laid. Does he meet Steve? I'm thinking it's like Fleet Week in, in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I am all aboard the Mothership Fleet Week. <laughs> Ask so. me how much I love this already. <laughs> he sees that he, see, he finds out that that you know Steve's in going to be Steve sends a message that our team is going to be uh, we're going to be coming on in, in New York next week. And New York is if you want to get laid fairly anonymously or nobody knows where you are, there's New York's a good place to do that. Um, so yeah, so that but again, we talked kind of talked about this a little bit kind of roundabout in other podcasts um, that. You have to understand the point of your story, and everything has to be in service of that that point. That whatever word gels for you, and it's a, it may sound like I'm, that's a semantics thing, but words make a big difference to writers. So some people, when you say what's the point of your story, they just kind of look at you funny, and then some people, you say, well, what's the purpose of your story, and they're they're there, they get it. So you got to pick your word, the word that gels for you. Um. For me, but it's theme. What's my central theme? Right. Whereas for me, it's I tend to go with what's the point of this. Um, um, and I guess it's partially because that's something I tend to ask myself as I'm writing is, what is the point of this? <laughs> and it, it's a question not just about the overall story, but about that scene as it relates to the overall point. So because I'm a what's what's the point kind of person – the point is the word that I tend to use. But some people say, what is the purpose? Um, what is the reason for the story? What, whatever whatever it gels for you. But everything has to be furthering that purpose. And some scenes, some detail that you wouldn't put in, say, a case, case thick, um, 
something focused around crime and solving a crime or something like that. You might put in a smutty BDSM piece where Tony's going to go to New York and get laid and maybe get his ass baked. So yay! <laughs> it's 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 just you gotta you gotta understand what what you're doing and why you're doing it. I think there was a question. Uh, Rob has a question, but I don't. I don't really understand it. It might be a spouse story of yours. Um. Uh, I think that was Edie who had that question. Edie, did that help um, if there's a specific area of dialogue? Because um, there's all different kinds of functional dialogue. Um, and like, you know, if you want something specific, like what to include and what not, like recommendations, like in a court proceeding, what dialogue would you include, which would you omit, which would you summarize, blah, 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 or... You know, if there's context specific to your question. Let me know. Otherwise, if anybody else has questions. Oh, good. That was helpful. But I will say, um, I've said it before, and it's funny. I recommend this to every new author or fairly novice author I ever talk to. Um, and very few of them ever do it, is to read your dialogue out loud. Actually, read your whole story out loud if you can and you feel up to it. But at a minimum, you should read your dialogue because a lot of things will become clear to you when you read your dialogue out loud. Um, and when you're stumbling over it, that means it's awkward. <laughs> yeah. If if you can't figure out how to say it so that it sounds the way it does in your head, it's because it probably isn't phrased in a kind of natural cadence. So you might it's it's a really good technique for it. It can be appalling the first few times you do it, like oh my god, I thought I was better at dialogue than this. But you power through it, and it's a really good. It can be a really painful edit, but you'll get to the point that you'll start to understand what dialogue for you how what the rhythm should be but it will also illustrate when you've gone down a rabbit hole that you don't want to go down it's like if you find yourself as you're reading it going wow this is also pointless you know it probably is not serving a point in your story she said that it would be appalling i'll have to go on record to say that i um i've done it for a long time um, and I still find it appalling. <laughs> so don't don't be surprised if it continues to be appalling to read your own word out um, your own your own work out loud. <laughs> oh, I can I can get really into it. I can get really theatrical with it too. I mean, <laughs> sometimes when, when I hit something that's really off, I go, "Oh, that was bad." Okay, and then I sit back down and I'm like, "Damn, we kind of interrupted my monologue." <laughs> It's terrible. But there are times when I'm like, I don't want to read this one out loud. I don't I don't read every story out loud. I certainly don't. But especially anytime I'm dealing with a new char- character I'm unfamiliar with, 
um, a, a new fandom, um, writing something. So when I'm working on original stuff, I always read the characters' dialogues out loud because I have it in my head how I want them to sound, but I'm not going to know if it, they actually sound that way unless I read it. So, but I said, um, most you guys of the, picture most her of the, like bouncing around her house doing a theatrical play of her work because I do. <laughs> Alas, poor York. <laughs> I knew him well. My, I I um I think the the last NCIS story I, it was a short one but the last NCIS story um that I read a conversation completely out loud um was impetus actually the scene it was a few years ago it, and specifically and I say specifically the NCIS because other fandoms and other characters I do but I wanted to be sure Tony came across in that short as. As just like barely contained rage, but not whiny or petulant. And so I really got into reading this out loud. Um, and my sister thought I was having a fight with someone. <laughs> <laughs> no, just reading my fanfic. <laughs> Carry on. My husband has walked in on me um, actually reading my work out loud. Um, and I usually stand up when I do it, and I'll have it in my hand, and I'll be reading. He was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, mind your own. <laughs> this, is, this is bad enough. I don't need you in here. This is, this is, this is a sacred writer ritual. Go away. <laughs> now I have to start all over again. You ruined it for me. It just—it surprised me that I think it is the single most helpful thing to getting down natural-sounding dialogue is to read your own work out loud. And I would say 90% of the people that I recommended that to, when I check back with them, when they're if if they're still struggling with dialogue, and I say that you try reading it out loud, they say no, it feels too uncomfortable. Um, That's why your dialogue really sucks, motherfucker. <laughs> I, I understand it can feel very uncomfortable, and it's difficult to feel uncomfortable. So I don't really have a good answer for that, but um, I, do. I don't you know. Man I, up. I've been appalled yeah, for 30 yeah. years. Suck it up. <laughs> Karen's been freaking herself out for three decades. You can freak yourself out for three weeks. 30 minutes. <laughs> I'll just say... If you don't get that, I'm sorry, but I um anyway. I'm not really all that sorry. You, it's you a line get from that. In, you, you, Avengers Infinity War. If you've like you've not seen that yet, come on now. Come on. Catch up. Thor Ragnarok. Oh, it is Thor and it It yeah, is Thor, Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. You definitely should have fucking seen that. It's on Netflix. Get over there. If you have, if if you've given up on the if the Marvel franchise because the Avengers movies went a wackadoodle way and you're frustrated by it, I understand. But you should still see Thor Ragnarok and the Black Panther. I agree. Just trust me. Just if you really have given up on the franchise of the Avengers, skip the after credit scene. 
and you'll be set. Any other questions? We've got like 20-ish minutes, 21 minutes. While we're talking about dialogue, I have said this before, but folks, this should be a hard rule. Like write it down in sex scenes where characters are having anal sex. Do not ever, ever use shit as an expletive. Okay? <laughs> ever. Word. If that honestly... If if your characters are fucking, don't use the word shit in any context. That's right. Because it's, it's just, just not a bad deal. You don't. Okay, I'm gonna do. It, I'm gonna do. It, I'm gonna do it. I've seen it again. Again, I'm gonna do it for the chat room. Oh no! I I don't even want to look at my own chat room. <laughs> no, no, I can't even repeat that. I'm glad you didn't put it on the podcast. I'm not even sure how I would rate that. Um, that's not appropriate for the sex scene, for especially an anal sex scene. Um, wow. Um, I'm sorry for those of you who are listening to this in the archive and aren't privy to the chat room, repeating that on the air. <laughs> this is the case if this is something that is said, not intending it to be what it literally is said. But it is a very, it is something that might be said during the sex scene. But just put a different expletive in, and there's no problem with that line. Um, yeah, damn, fuck. that would work. Damn it. I'm going to dot, 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 fuck. I'm going to dot, 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 damn. I'm you going get to. get wordy and say, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, if I was ever having sex with somebody and they screamed out, Jesus, take the wheel, I I would bust <laughs> out laughing. I would be done. And I better, if I hadn't had an orgasm yet, somebody getting their ass whooped. <laughs> you know, I know that I could tell by the context that the author did not mean it the way that it was literally written, but... It didn't matter. That was ruined for me. <laughs> Completely ruined. And it shouldn't appear honestly anywhere in a sex scene when someone's getting fucked in the ass. It just shouldn't. So it is a rule. Bite me on it if you want, but I can come up with lots of reasons, more reasons why it should be a rule than you can come up with reasons why it shouldn't be a rule. No shit in sex scenes. <laughs> Unless you're writing that, and then we don't want to read it. And we don't want your link. And we don't want your emails defending it either. Yeah. Well, that in, in that case, we're writing it as a kink and not as an expletive. So just you can't use it as an expletive. There you go. But seriously, though, I would like to say this. Um, when we say stuff on the podcast, we are literally not inviting you to email us to talk about it. If we express an opinion you don't like or we we don't want to hear from you about it I don't I mean I'm picking the role we at this point I guess because I don't know if Julie would be interested in your conversation for the most part I, I would think not um, <laughs> generally so no I you, you said generally and then you said nothing oh Oh, I guess my word lost. Uh, generally, generally, no, I, I don't. I don't want to hear. Uh, but, I mean, I will say that there have been some times we've talked about certain difficult topics 
that people have privately reached out to me and shared their, you know, some of their life experiences with me, not in a you're wrong kind of way, but in a this really spoke to me, thank you, or whatever. And that's great. But if you're just writing to correct me or, you know, send me story links, you know, FICREX or the 90% of the stuff, no, I, I don't want it in any context. I I'm I'm over podcast follow-ups at this point. I'm never going to read Snary. Stop sending me your fucking links. I don't care how good it is or whether or not Harry's an adult. Actually, I do care a lot that there's fic out there where Harry's not an adult when that happens, but I don't that's not the point. Um, that that's just terrible. I I don't care how good it is. Snary is my no TP. There is nothing worse than Snapledore. Wait, yes, there was. I forgot myself. Go stand in the corner, Ellie. <laughs> you almost made it. Two cop podcast. You almost made it. We got 16 minutes left, and now you're in the corner. These assholes. Katie. On Facebook. You got on Facebook, corner, too. It, well, no, no, it's worse. It's worse. It is um, Marge Dursley and, and Umbridge. Uh. <laughs> I had blocked that out. I... Oh, These no. assholes on Facebook, no. they, they just tell me terrible things. Uh, I mean, I understand you're you're scrolling along and you see something and you're traumatized, but now the rest of us are traumatized too. And I was going to wait till after the podcast to take some aspirin, but now after that, I feel I feel aspirin coming on. <laughs> That's the sound of two hundred count bottle. <laughs> Opening up. Look what you did. Hey, you cannot blame Benadryl for your current behavior because that happened weeks ago. <laughs> You're just making shit up now. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's one of the circles of hell. I'm pretty sure Umbridge is actually in all of them with different pairings. Um, I don't honestly know what's worse, Marge or Cornelius Fudge. <clears throat> Uh, Marge, Marge, way, <laughs> she has an way opinion. worse, way worse. Way worse. And specifically Marge with Umbridge. Marge with Fudge, bad, but not as bad. But something about Umbridge and Marge together, that's like, you know, Sadistic assholes um, squared right there. I mean, Fudge is just an incompetent idiot. And the coward.
But you know what? There are also points in canon where Fudge um, is outright malicious. When he does things, purely for the fact that he'd rather not deal with it. Revealing that Sirius Black had never gotten a trial wouldn't have been a problem for the canon version of Fudge. He wasn't the minister. He wasn't the head of the DMLE when that happened. Crouch and Mag... Magnahold, Magnahold, Magnold, whatever. Um, I, I think it's pronounced Magnold, but who knows? It would have by no. It would have. It, he could have been seen as a hero, but he couldn't be bothered to spin it. That's maliciousness, laziness. And the whole thing with Barty Crouch, that's just cowardness. He didn't want to accept what had happened, so he tried to cover it up because he's a coward. But putting Hagrid in prison, um, ignoring Sirius didn't get a trial, that was just maliciousness. For no real reason. I, you know, I never read it as maliciousness. I read it as he was just constantly flailing around ineptly, responding to his big donors and trying to not be wrong. And so anytime he appeared to look ineffectual or inept or whatever, he, he did these ridiculous things to avoid having to admit that he was wrong. I, I thought I was just being really weak, a really weak person um, more than I just didn't, I, I didn't personally read it as that he had some kind of plan. It was, it all seemed like for the moment flailing. It's just laziness. Like he couldn't even figure out how to spin these things to his own benefit. Yeah, I mean, he was he was he was a detestable person. I mean, he was somebody that lazy and self-absorbed should not be the head of government. Wow, wow! This all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Well, we can't go there. No, we we can't go there. I think that J.K. Rowling should have to do like a YouTube video where she pronounces all of the magical words in her story and everybody's names. I agree. We should petition this on um, on on Twitter. We should like, hey, can you put out a video where you um, say all these names and words? We'd we'd really appreciate it. Potterheads everywhere are tired of having Harry Potter conversations where we can't agree on how things are pronounced. And since the movies sometimes skip stuff, we didn't get all the names anyway. And we didn't get all the things said. If she did that, fans would immediately like like time stamps of every word and name and where to find them in the video and It'd be the most watched video on YouTube ever. (laughs) 
billion views. It might crash. It, it might crash YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it probably would. J.K. Rowling joined YouTube today, and YouTube went down. <laughs> I had to look. There's nothing like it. I can't. I can't say. Say. Oh. Oh. Oh God. Oh God. It's okay. So Ellie had talked about having. Um. Okay. Her quantum bang having an unfortunate implied pairing. I guess will be not not uh, not like a main character just whatever anyway uh-huh. well so I of course was like immediately intrigued because I have a terrible case of like train wreck syndrome it's like if somebody says don't google that I could really go right out and google it because I often regret my life choices <laughs> um, Ellie that's She's awful the hag. I just have to I, She's I, just have to, I, just, I should google that <laughs> I shouldn't have googled that yeah it's it, 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 it's going to be like I need it on a T-shirt. I should not have Googled that. Um, anyway, so I was intrigued. So Ellie decided to indulge my curiosity. And, oh, oh, yeah, girl, get used to that corner. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be in it a lot after the bang comes out. <laughs> you might as well just go ahead and step your chair. <laughs> And put up your porn calendar. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. You have to be very careful when you write something, like you throw something in, you think it's kind of a throwaway, and it kind of becomes, it, it, your it head gets cannon. entrenched. It becomes your headcanon. And once it does, sometimes it's for good or for bad, but sometimes you can't get it out. And, you know, so you have to be like, careful with, recently, like... Not recently. Several weeks ago, I made a comment, and Jilly confirmed it for me, and now um, she's totally fucked my headcanon, so now I can't read any of her Tony Dinoza works without thinking about what she told me. And then I get mad. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. You can tell them her. you to ruin their head This bitch, let me tell what this bitch told me. I said, you know, I said, now every time I see one of your Tony Dinozos, I think that he's really Alex Shepard and he don't know it. And she said, it's my headcanon that he is. So in DeNovo, yeah. he's running around being Tony Dinozo. Patrick Shepard doesn't have his baby. <laughs> That's right. Were you were you madder at me over that or over your realization that Ethan's dead in Catalyst? I I can't even talk to you about Catalyst, okay? <laughs> Shut up. But the whole I just, now every time I read her, I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> I'm over here writing in my head reunion stories for all her Tonys. <laughs> <laughs> Where he meets his real daddy. It became my head headcanon. I wrote it. I was like, oh, this is really sunk into my brain. Unfortunately, to such a degree 
that I can't, we talked about, I can't read John Shepard, Tony Dinozo because it's incest to me. I cannot read it. Um, it. I've had people, the weird thing is, even though I've said that it's incestuous to me, it's not a slight on anybody who finds that appearing appealing, but my headcanon is so strong about Tony's connection to the Shepherds that it is an incestuous thing. And people will say, well, you should really try reading this one. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to try to read no, any of them. No. So now I get my lady. It's just so kidding. I'm like, poor Tony. He doesn't know that he's he's he was kidnapped as a baby. I mean, I really think that sometimes when I'm working on these stories, it's just it's it's terrible. Which means Dom over the summer in the story that I actually preferred isn't even Dom. He used to be Tony. Now he's Dom, but he's still really Alex. There you go. <laughs> That's what terrible. Sometimes he- head cannon is terrible. It does. It totally fucks you up. I mean, writing resurrection, rest, not resurrection, restoration messed with me about several Harry Draco stories. Not as badly, but writing them as brothers, even in a twenty-five k story, was <laughs> it was rough on the pairing front. <laughs> For other you won't do that again, will you? No. Yeah. So you have to really be careful with if if you think that characters have potential, rem- but chemistry, sexual chemistry, don't have the first story you write them and have them be related. Because if that unless head you don't care, then, I mean, uh, unless incest isn't a problem for you, I mean, you know. And for some well, people, it's not. And if it's not, please don't tell me. We don't want to know. And by that, I mean both of this. I'm speaking for us both at this point. <laughs> she knows we it's don't true. Want I don't want to know either. Because if you're like, hey, incest doesn't bother me, so I really like, I'd be like, hmm, hmm. You know, I'm having to have a really hard time right now, like, not gossiping about this. <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody that you read incest. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding at all. I'm just kidding. Um, I am very, I am super judgmental about that shit. And I, you know, um, it's just gross, and it's 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 always it's it's abuse, and I I don't want any part of it. And um, no, and then you know, anyway, I don't want to upset people, so I'm just gonna talk. I'm going to stop talking about it. But it will. It it really did ruin Supernatural for me. I can't even watch the show. I'm missing out on hotness. Because of that asshole fandom and their obsession with incest. Yeah. You know, there was um, another fandom. It, I don't think it ever took off big as a fandom, but I was watching the show. I'd only seen a few episodes. I was behind, like a season of mine, and that was Prison Break. And I go to see what's going on in the fandom. And, like, all the popular stories at that point in time had the brothers fucking each other in prison. <laughs> like, just not, not just make, make it worse, right? And I, confused, because I haven't, I'm not current on the show, and thinking that they're not actually related. I, I was that naive about the whole thing, right? So I asked somebody, I said, when does it reveal that they're not brothers? I mean, when does that come out? Um, uh, there must be a part I haven't gotten to yet. She says, oh, that, they're brothers. That's canon. I was like, ew. <laughs> ew. You mean people are writing this on purpose, that they're related? That's not a mistake. Yeah. Do they understand that if they're brothers, that that they shouldn't be having sex? So. Right, right. 
for so we're down to a minute, um, roughly. Um, so yes, uh, the incest fic did ruin Supernatural for me, and um, um, I don't want to hear your opinions about it. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. I uh, I'm not going to apologize if you're offended by my set on my stance regarding incest because gross. Anyway, we may or may not see you guys tomorrow, depending on whether or not we figure out some kind of type of topic or something. I want to thank everybody being in the chat room and helping us and um, asking super awesome questions. And um, um, good night, everybody. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. <laughs>